Hello and welcome to the Central Connecticut Intergroup Podcast. My name is Christina and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Eddie and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Deanna and I am an alcoholic. Um, and let's start with the serenity prayer. God, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yes, so tonight we have with us my friend Deanna, and Deanna, do you want to start out by telling us what life was like before you found AA? (laughs) Sure. Um, Hi again, my name is Deanna, and I am an alcoholic. Um, So what it was like before, Um, I was actually pretty much raised here in Wallingford, Connecticut. I've lived here since I was three years old. and to a middle-class family my dad was a teacher my mom was a stay-at-home mom who worked nights and weekends Um, really solid background there was no alcohol or drug use in my immediate family but my mother liked to gamble um, to the point that we almost lost the house and my father would start having to you know high checking accounts and you know keep track of money that type of stuff my mother would when we were younger would take us to like OTB and high lie and and pay us a couple of dollars to not tell our father you know <laughs> where we have gone for the day and uh, so I also learned at a very young age that when you did something you weren't supposed to do you just lied about it you just <laughs> lied about it and you stuck to that lie and that lie became the truth Um, So there's definitely some addictive patterns in my youth. Um, There were some probably pivotal pivotal moments that I don't know if they led me to be an alcoholic. They certainly didn't help. Um, I am a survivor of of sexual abuse. Um, When I was 16 years old, I was involved in a a very tragic hit-and-run accident that um, left me physically disabled uh, pretty pretty much, and also my best friend died. Um, So that was definitely something that kind of overshadowed my teen years after that. Uh, Definitely left a lot of emotional scars throughout my life. Definitely... um, fueled a lot of drinking over the years uh and before that accident happened was actually um really the first time i probably delved into really kind of drinking a lot Um, my story kind of runs where i have periods where i drank a lot and then i also had periods where i didn't drink at all um so we had spent a summer it was me and my friend that passed away and another friend of ours and um our other friend was actually emancipated from her parents because her father was very physically abusive and so her and her sister had this apartment and right and we're 16 years old and like on our own and for this whole summer all we did was party right it was the place to be the place to hang out right we're 16 and her sister was like Um, I think 18 or 19, so very young, very irresponsible, and we pretty much partied the summer away, and when we went back to school into our junior year, none of us wanted to be there, and we systematically kind of dropped out of high school, and, uh, you know, because drinking and stuff was much more important, and that was a rough time in both our houses. Um, 
my father's a teacher, so that was not really the best conversation <laughs> to have. You know, hey, Dad, by the way, um, quit in high school. You know, I'm your dropout daughter. Welcome. Let's have some fun with it. So there was also a lot of guilt around the accident. It happened uh, February 1st, 1985, and we had asked our parents uh, to use the car. My friend um, had her driver's license, and they said no. And then we said, well, give us a ride down to the local arcade because I'm an 80s kid. And we hung out at the arcade and I did a lot of drinking and partying at the arcade. And they said no. So we were like, heck with you, we'll walk. Um, and that's when we got hit by a snowplow um, and led into, you know, all the stuff that followed after that. And that actually entered me into one of my first periods of not drinking. Um, I went back to high school, I graduated high school, and I just had this, you know, this sense of, of weirdness, right? Back in school, my best friend's not there, um, my brothers were pretty popular and really good in sports, um, my friend that passed was, was very popular. I always felt that I was popular by association to my family, which worked out well for me. I don't know, you know, what the truth is behind that. But I felt very, like, people looked at me funny, you know? Like, people looked at me strange, like, you know? And I think that was a lot of guilt, right? A lot of survivor's guilt around that. So I, I didn't really, I didn't drink really at all when I went back to school. Graduated went off to college because that was the thing to do. Had the high school boyfriend, he went off to college, I went off to college, and that's when I started really drinking again. And um, kind of left my comfort zone around all of that, was off at the University of New Haven and, and just really was drinking and failed miserably out of college. And uh, came back home and I was in my early 20s and right so I didn't really have responsibilities I worked full-time and um, you know paid my bills and partied on the weekends so uh, you know I don't know if there was anything wrong with that or what was going on but um, at 25 years old I got pregnant with my oldest son um, and that started me off on like a nine-year time of not drinking not sober <laughs> whatsoever white knuckling it through all of those kind of emotional things that we work on mm -hmm. in sobriety were not worked on and were amplified by not drinking I was the best way that I described myself really through that period and through drinking was that self-centered animal like I was absolutely just an animal anything could set me off to either way to the that I would be in an absolute rage or that I would be in an absolute depression and a ball puddle in the corner and nothing could pacify me mm -hmm. and um then I moved on years went on like this was married had a couple more kids um Decided to go back to work full time. I had stayed at home with my kids for most of their young childhood and work nights and weekends. And um, decided that my kids were old enough that I could have a social life again. And uh, picked up where I left off. Mm -hmm. And 
within a couple of months, I was drinking like I used to drink. I was having an affair. I was in divorce court, which led me into two years of my life going completely downhill and living in the same house with my ex-husband while we went through this divorce with our children and this madness mm -hmm. that ensued around while I covered it up with alcohol until I got sober. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of what it was like before. <laughs> I could definitely really I've had periods yeah like where I would just not like before I ever came to AA where I would just try to not drink and I remember I've had these like snap moments and I remember my parents be like what did you take what do you want I'm like nothing like then I'm like self-righteous about it too like I'm just angry it's like I just snapped like because I had all that rage and everything because I wasn't drinking I wasn't dealing with anything it was just piling up piling up ready for me to explode and Yes. And then I would be like, I'm not drinking, but now I should. Everyone would be like, Well, you should drink. And then, you know, <laughs> then, then maybe you might want to. You yeah. might want to because I, I was never able to extend those periods. Like, if I was, I always needed something when I started, whether it was I would drink and then I'd start smoking weed just so people would be like, Look, like, I don't need to drink. And I bounced back and forth for so long, like, Oh, yeah, I can control it. Everything's under control. And I could never get to that point of like, Oh, I'll just stop. And I mean, how's it? I was an ass when I was drinking, and if I wasn't drinking at all, I was even worse. Oh, yeah. I was a miserable person to be around. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, like that sobriety, too. If I, I don't do the right things, I can still turn to that miserable person. Absolutely. I can remember growing up, and I think I was grounded once in my lifetime when I was a, a tween, and I was so miserable and so terrible to be around my parents were just like get out of the house just get out of here please you know and I think for them the hardest thing because like I said they didn't drink so I would just disappear for periods of time and and just not be around because like you weren't you know sitting down and chugging beers at, at a family get-together yeah. not in my house anyway you weren't doing that yep. with my parents so I just wasn't around mm -hmm. and when I would be around you know also I think with a lot of the guilt that they had fueled me mm -hmm. to get what I wanted you mm -hmm. know and to really be ugly mm -hmm. around them anything that that I wanted I knew I could push buttons and get exactly what I wanted and I think that everybody kind of around me felt some level of guilt and shame and pity I'm mm -hmm. sure that thought that I had all these issues because of what happened mm -hmm. when I was you know 16 years old and they had no idea what to do um, I, I'm actually lucky enough that I have a I have a therapist in my life that started treating me right before the accident mm -hmm. because my father called her up literally crying saying please help my daughter mm -hmm. please we don't know what's wrong with her you know mm -hmm. and that was starting when I was first really drinking and everything like I had talked about and I saw her through the rest of high school and that kind of stuff um, I went back to her during my divorce mm -hmm. and um, she stayed with me through the divorce until I got sober and then I, I actually started seeing her again recently um you know because as she says everybody needs an oil change and a tune-up sometimes yeah, <laughs> you know and my dad's getting older roles are shifting nowadays and just needed some support um so i've been when i can look back on my life now i see how amazingly blessed i have been that i have had people that have stayed 
and been there and supported me and, and to have even like this professional person that I have been able to continue to go back to mm-hmm. and that knows me mm-hmm. and yeah, knows who I am. I don't have yeah. to start over, you know, and and so that's really been like a blessing mm-hmm. and, and so helpful even throughout, you know, my sobriety and stuff. So it's been great. Mm-hmm. Was she who uh, told you to go to AA or like how did... No, but she's absolutely fantastic Um, because, how do I say this? Um, So she knows a lot about our program, and I think that that she participates in our sister program. So she can really talk very well, and I think that she has had some family members in and around. Mm -hmm. So um, she would say things to me when I was seeing her during my divorce, you know, uh, we would talk about it and she would be like, you know, Deanna, alcohol and antidepressants really don't mix. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when you <laughs> when you have one drink, when you're on an antidepressant, it's like having seven, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all those kinds of things. And I would just be like, yeah, all right. You know, that's cool. <laughs> Sounds like a party to me, right? <laughs> Cheaper. Unless I have to drink. And so, which was, um, so actually how I got into AA was that I had had a few friends that um, kind of were in and out of the program over the years and had sometimes a sobriety because I, I can also remember being like, you know, because I had like those nine years that I didn't drink and the self-centered person that I was, I used to be like, why do you need that? Why don't you just not drink? <laughs> just <laughs> don't you drink. Have some self-control. <laughs> don't you see how well my life is and how put together I am without alcohol? Let me get off my high horse and right? tell you what's really going on. Let me stop on. beating my husband and come back and have a conversation with you. <laughs> Christina can relate. Yeah, exactly. um, so... <laughs> and so that that is actually how I went in. I think that I was just so desperate and my mm-hmm. life had gotten to be and I could take a step back and I knew like I can probably put this drink down. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be nine years. It's not going to be. I don't know how long. And I can't go back to that dry period either because I'm, I'm just going to end up sitting in this bar seat and now I'm a single mom with three kids that... I was not present for during my divorce um, and I just was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. Um, my therapist was certainly thrilled to death that I started going <laughs> to AA um, but no she didn't she didn't really show me that route. Um, I think God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I actually, of course, I came in here because my, my boyfriend that I had the affair with, he had such a bad drinking problem. Oh. You know, yeah. You and I go, that's how I came in. I yeah. came in the back door. I came in throughout because she was miserable and yes. it couldn't have been me. It could it never not, have been me. No, no, no. I mean, I certainly wanted to support and help him. I knew I drank too much. Yep. But, you know, I, I needed one, to, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> he really needs some assistance. And I'm kind of like, I'll just play along. And, yep. you know, so those two things got me in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and just thrilled to death that 18 years later, I still sit here, mm-hmm. and my life has never been better, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's just been fantastic, so. What has been your kind of go-to to keep in the rooms, right? 18 years is a long time of sobriety. How, how have you managed to do that? 
Um, so I think that I learned from the start that I, I, I came in and I don't know how, and again, right, probably God or higher power, whatever the reason, I heard what people said, right? Um, I heard that, you know, people that didn't continue to go to meetings um, drank. And like I said, my, my life was just such a disaster that I couldn't, that I couldn't take it. And, and I was willing to do whatever it took. So I think slowly that's what kept me in the rooms. And I also had a friend that I work with that got sober around the same time. So there was kind of that camaraderie. Um, the other friend that I grew up with was in the, in the rooms, um, met people, did the whole coffee, the dinner, right? It kind of, there was that social component. Mm -hmm. Got into service, um, started doing service at, at the group level, and um, I think that it's so, it's so strange. It's so funny being able to look back and realize that I had a coffee commitment at every meeting that I went to <laughs> because that's what was making me go, mm-hmm. right? Because I had to be there to make the coffee, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those kinds of things. And then, then you got to chair the meeting. And I think for, like, the first... I don't know, probably six years that I was sober because I work in the social services field, my family thought I ran those meetings for those people. Um, and I was like, whatever makes it all right for you. You know, that's yeah. that's fine. Um, so that was kind of just how I started to stay. And I have a really good sponsor that's been sober for uh, 38 years that continues to go to meetings, mm-hmm. right? So I see her at meetings and I've watched her, her life and I've trusted her and she has shown me that unconditional love and trust and support that I could never see around me. I know that there's a lot of people that didn't have that within their families mm-hmm. and or didn't know that kind of growing up. I could never see that growing up in my parents, in my family. Um, I definitely, especially, I, I just always, daddy's little girl, um, very close with my father. He has been that, quote, person in my life that has never left. Without the Rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would never be able to see that. Um, it was stuff like when I came in the rooms, I had a really hard time with a relationship with my mother. Probably because we are so much alike, which... <laughs> the fact that I can actually say that out loud and be proud of that is a gift of working the steps and working on ourselves. Um, but our relationship was very tumultuous. I'm trying to use words I can't say. Um, and my sponsor would always tell me, you need to work on that relationship because there's going to come a point when you can't. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, wrong, you know, and and I I think there was probably a little bit of a fear factor because my sponsor is a pretty strong personality and um, kind of in in sort of a a gentle way, at least at the time, had a way of saying things that made them seem really important to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like you had to do it, which is great for me um, all this time later. So, um, and was also the same thing with my oldest son. Um, 
he's another one that him and I are a lot alike and our relationship was very difficult. And I think that I was very resentful with him because his father and I, who was not my ex-husband, um, did not have a good relationship. So I worked, got to work on both of those relationships, but, um, probably about five years into sobriety, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and we had a relationship that, you know, as she stood at the door of the elevator and literally was holding her purse with that childlike look on her face and saying, you know, um, I, I love you and thank you for being here and, and just I love you. Well, my father and I went to go get the car that I could be there and be that support for her and not be angry and truly love my mother at that time and, and help my family and not be a nuisance to my family mm -hmm. through the time that she was sick until she passed away. Mm -hmm. I think those are, are some of the pivotal things that have happened that I've got to realize that by working on the steps and taking a look at that stuff and looking at my selfishness and self-centeredness and how much that infiltrated into every area of my life, mm -hmm. um, has been, I think, one of my hugest gifts in sobriety, you know? It was a huge gift of the program. Like you said, I think I like hearing that too. Same thing. It's like you realize, I realized how much my selfishness drove a wedge between almost all, almost every relationship <laughs> I was really a part of. And when I get rid of that selfishness and I actually let it go and how much more in tune I can be with other people and how people like having me around. Mm -hmm. And people like it, it's, it, it. And like I get invited to things that people want me to be around. It's like it's such a different feeling compared to like I show up and I'm like, oh God, he's here again. You know what I mean? And then it's like, or at least they, and that's how I always felt. And it's just so nice. Like I said, the gift of the program to actually, and then I want to go do, mm. I, I want to go do things now instead of, I guess I have to think about it, right? Sometimes I don't want to, I get to. Yeah. And so. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's a joy. I still sometimes have to get pulled out to go do these things, but it's nice to be there and be a part of things now and feel like um, I'm a part of something bigger. And it's such a big gift of the program. Absolutely. Yeah. Feeling those relationships. Like, yeah, when I came here, I just wanted to stop drinking. But then, like, once I stopped drinking and kind of was guided into doing I didn't want to heal my relationship with my mom I moved across the country I'm like we're good we're fine <laughs> like, oh, my sponsor my therapist were both like you know you should really work on this and like giving me prayers for it and like slowly over time now I love like I love calling my mom I love talking to her FaceTime and like it's so funny because I never wanted to be a part of those family functions and do all those things and now I, I do I get invited and I want to be there and I don't know. Yeah, like I was the drama. I just had that realization over the weekend about like <laughs> at, at the meeting and it, what our reading was. And like I used to think like because I started, I stopped talking, you know, crap to my mom about my sister. I stopped talking crap about my mom to or my sister to my mom. And then all our relationships got better. And I was like, I thought I was the instigator to like everyone being better. And then I realized I was just the drama. That was <laughs> I think that was for me too. That was like one of the hardest lessons, right? Because as I was working on this relationship, it wasn't going to be about her changing. It wasn't going to be about her being different. It wasn't, it was going to be about how I worked with that. That was a tough lesson to learn working and my air quotes that we can't see over the podcast <laughs> is all about work on me. Mm -hmm. Before, where my work was, how am I going to change you? Yeah. yeah exactly. I need you to do these things. things and then, and then okay. I'm going to be happy. Yeah. 
Yes. Do it this way and I will be happy. I nope. was the insistent list taker. Mm-hmm. I would do anything a for score you. Scorekeeper. Scorekeeper. <laughs> Absolutely. Another good one. And as soon as you weren't doing what I wanted, I took out Santa's list yeah. yep. and said, but yep. don't forget, yep. I've done this, 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 and this. How dare you not? do as I want yeah yep. I need you to do this one thing look at all these other look things. at all these things I do for you you can't do this one thing for me you don't love me you don't care you don't and spiral yeah. out of control and I think that that learning how to really truly love and respect myself mm-hmm. you know um, that was definitely growth like I didn't walk in here and, and get sober in a week um, you know I I took me with me, right? Mm-hmm. I came into these rooms, so those feel-good things. I My contribution to Alcoholics Anonymous for several years was sleeping with married men, you know? Um, so <laughs> that was what I gave, you know? <laughs> um, and, and those are things that I had to work through and, and mm-hmm. look at and and my fears around relationships and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and why am I doing this? Why am I consistently setting myself up to fail mm-hmm. because it was always just easier to point the finger out that way but mm-hmm. you said that this was going to happen well how like no what are you doing mm-hmm. you know and um slowly but surely i think that spiritual change right that spiritual awakening mm-hmm. mine was not a bright light right yeah. that happened slow overnight yeah. it was a slow burn <laughs> i was i remember I sitting <laughs> sitting with a friend in the program and sitting out um on this back back porch and we were just chatting and just kind of like looked over and said I I don't know how this happened but my life has changed mm-hmm. you know I, I think it was really purposeful at, at first where I can remember my conversations with people were mm-hmm. how could I have handled this better Right. Instead of this person did this or this and that and da 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 da. And if they didn't do this, I wouldn't have done that and I wouldn't have reacted. Was how could I have done that better? Mm-hmm. And having those purposeful conversations, and and then they became natural. You know, um, and I think for me, I I've had a couple of of moments in my sobriety that really um, that really stick out and and that I like to share. Um, and I worked at this place, I was on the safety committee and, um, we used to get together and with the fire department and the police department, and we would have these quarterly big drills. They would train their new people. We used them. We did really big mock drills, like disasters. Um, and one year we did one on violence in the workplace. So we had the police and the fire department were on call and they were part of this. And, um, I was so lucky to be the disgruntled employee that came back in and caused the violence. So, you know, I walk in and, and, and I start like kind of this argument with the front business office and like we used to do them full out. They were so much fun. Like pulled out a water pistol and started shoot. I mean, probably not so politically correct now, but this was quite a few years ago and, you know, was uh, shooting back and forth at people and the administrator and nobody knows that works there when these are going to happen. And we go through this whole big thing. I got arrested, put in the cop car. We go through this whole, uh, the fire department comes in, deals with the victims, yada, yada. And after we debrief, you know, it, it, it becomes apparent that we're having a quote drill and 
most of um, the nurses said, you know, Deanna, it, it, it took us about three or four minutes until we realized that this was a drill because we just thought you were having another bad day. I was like, that's fantastic that I'm up here yelling at people. And until I pull out my brightly colored water gun, you people just think I'm having a bad day. That was like, right? That was like a light bulb of people just tolerated your nonsense. Mm -hmm. And people had no idea, like, oh, just ignore her she's just going off again wear herself out i'll wear myself just let me be on a rampage and i'll work myself into a tissue and then settle back down yeah and these are people that i worked with and wanted their respect and all that stuff and this is what they thought of me you know and and there was another time when i had um was recently sober same job god bless those people um that i actually continued to work there all those years i was there for about 12 years um and I had had an argument with uh, the head of the the head of HR actually looking back on it, and here I am like going off on her in front of other employees in the office. Walk out, slam the door. But this is how ridiculously comfortable and unaware I was that I'm actually yelling at the head of HR. Mm-hmm. And I go go back to my office and I slam the door. And I'm recently sober, and as my sobriety kicks in that little bit, I'm like shit. No. <laughs> now what do I do? Now I'm going to have to make an amends. Now I'm going to have to make an amends. Why? Why? So early on, again, purposefully, I went back into the business office and, and I said, can I talk to you? And everybody else kind of went to get up and get out. And I said, no, please stay. And I apologized to everybody because not only did I do harm to the person that I was yelling at, but I also did harm to all the people that are just there to do their job. Mm-hmm. And it was those kind of actions that were so terribly uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I hated mm-hmm. that made me <laughs> take that breath and take that second mm-hmm. and say, do I really want to say this? <laughs> yep. So I laugh, right? Like, so I just wanted to stop drinking. I didn't know how to do all these other things around it too. Mm-hmm. And then like part of this hitting, not being resentful then, I am fueled sometimes by not having to make another amends. Like, I know before I lose it. And sometimes my thought is, I say what I want to say, I'm going to have to make an amends. And that's going to be so much worse than what's going on right now. And so I'm just going to bite my tongue. Yep. And it's for the better. Because I know how to make situations worse. Mm-hmm. And I know whenever I start inserting myself into it, or like how I feel and want to get self-righteous, I can blow it up so quick. Yep. And, it's, and then I'm going to have to make an amends. And that's just... Horrible. I mean, it's great because it's what needs to be done and it's to keep me from drinking, but I hate it. It's just for me, it's one of those things for me, I hate it. My ego hates it, I hate it. And so the best way is to, is to avoid it. And I actually live a much happier life when I'm not ruining other people's. It's, a, it's amazing, right? It's so amazing how that happens. I know. I, I And and it's worked for me as I, I brought that, right? Because we practice these principles in all of our affairs. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that I, I actually have a career, that I've been promoted over time, that I, I have, you know, been 
asked to participate in things because my, <laughs> it makes me laugh to even say it, my level-headedness <laughs> and calmness, right? And they're like, right, if they, because still today, even after this time, like, it's all burning back behind the rate. Yeah. It's still, I mean, definitely better. Mm-hmm. Definitely better. Don't want to make it sound like there's no progress. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, um, it's definitely there. I had a thing. I was on vacation last week, came back, went to went back to work Monday morning, and, um, and actually did go to a meeting on vacation, which was awesome. And um, driving into work, and this guy in front of me, it's bright, sunny day. This guy in front of me has his intermittent wipers on, <laughs> front and back. <laughs> I was furious. <laughs> By the time I got to work, because this person was in front of me my whole ride up the highway, mm-hmm. and I could not see anything else but these intermittent wipers <laughs> occasionally going out, and I'm like, what are you doing? Find the sweat. I wanted to, like, pull up beside him, roll down my window, and be like, turn them off! Yeah. Turn them off! There's what no is way. wrong with you? You realize you're stupid, right? I just want to make sure. <laughs> and I said to myself, that's why I keep coming. Yeah. It's true. It's those little things, too, right? It's so that's funny. That's why I keep coming. so quick sometimes. So quick. So quick. I'm like, and I try to not pay attention to do that every time. I'm like, just friggin' wipers. Turn them off. Are you kidding me? It's so funny how that can still work with all of this, too. And so there's just the little things like, why? Why? Why does it matter? I don't know. It matters because it's bothering me. I don't know why it matters. It doesn't, right? It, it, doesn't. it doesn't matter. It's not my when wipers. I don't know. But it was just... Yeah, I get it. No, that's what I understand. And those are those things that I I can stop and say that that's why I keep coming. Mm-hmm. That's why I continue to go to meetings mm-hmm. because there's still work to be done. There's still work <laughs> to be done, and the more I don't do the work, is the closer that I get to a drink. I think that's mm-hmm. also something that I have always remembered. Mm-hmm. You know, um, is that if I don't continue to work and if I don't continue to see these things about myself or notice, you know, because I can be like, wow, the couch seems so much better. The couch at my house was the most comfortable that it has been at about 625 before I had to get up and come here tonight, (laughs) you know, and and those are the times that I have to remember this couch is not going to be comfortable with a drink in my Mm -hmm. hand and my Mm -hmm. life a mess, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and those are the gifts of sobriety. And that I don't get if I don't come to the rooms. And I don't share those stories and have people like you guys tonight going, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I agree. I understand. I understand why that would, you know, for whatever the reason. What was your experience with your higher power? Because I know a lot of people have, like, difficulty with that. Were you able to kind of just accept and... That was that was a struggle for for me. Um, so my my family is is quote unquote Catholic, um, not really practicing Catholics. Went to Bible school when I was younger. Have some. We weren't churchgoers. Um, I can tell you. I think that my my biggest struggle was um, the hypocrisy I saw in religion, and then when. I had the accident that I had and I lived people in their 
trying to comfort me, would say to me, God kept you here for a reason. God saved you for a reason. And I hated God for that. Because at the time, right, practicing butting up good alcoholic that I am, I thought I was the most disgusting person on this earth. That I was dirty and, and disgusting and awful. And my best friend that passed away was an angel, right? Mm -hmm. So if God left me for a reason, he's an idiot. He's a, he's a moron. And he mm -hmm. left the wrong person. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with that for so many years. And I continued to, to struggle with things around the whole God concept of God saves or protects people with there's evil in this world right and I what I try and do at this point is is to not get into those deep delved conversations right um and and keep it simple and I think for me um what was a turning point is I said my dad was a teacher my dad is a science teacher and the best way that I can explain it is that you know there is science all around us that tells us why sunsets have those beautiful colors and why flowers smell so good and and how birds fly and why animals do what they do and and all of that stuff but it's god that catches our breath it's god that that makes us say and enjoy that and it's god that has that love um along with all the other stuff so i think for for me that has been um, the best way that I can settle back in mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there are definitely mechanics and reasons of why everything happens. But God is is what makes us look at the world and enjoy those things mm -hmm. and see those things in that way. Um, I can remember when I was working on my third step. Step. I was on my way to a meeting, and uh, you know, because being the cop, the Catholic that I was, you know, you're gonna burn in hell if you do certain things, and and you break these commandments, and you know, so if I was gonna turn my will and my life over to God of my understanding, um, and I messed it up again, like I already thought I was going to hell, and then I'm really gonna go to hell, and. I had like this panic attack and I pulled over to the side of the road and I called up my sponsor and I'm like, oh my God, what if I, I can't like do this? And then if I, if I eat a hamburger on Good Friday, Jesus, <laughs> what is going to happen? I can't, I can't be perfect. Mm -hmm. I can't never swear again. I can't, and I'm going on and on and on. And she says, Deanna, what are you, where are you going? I said, I'm going to a meeting, but I just can't. She said, go to the meeting. Just go to the meeting. Mm -hmm. Call me after. Mm -hmm. And I think it was those kinds of things of that, you know, that kind of breaking that cycle and putting that hard stop on, stop what you're doing and do something different. Mm -hmm. And looking at that and having that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I have a mouth like a truck driver. Mm -hmm. And um, I was seeing at the time a lot of, women around me that had high collared button shirts and sat in meetings and knitted. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. That's not, that's not me. And said, Oh, precaution. Gosh, darn it. And, and, and I'm like, give me a leather jacket and a motorcycle. And like, I'm good. Um, you know, and I got to learn how to be that person. 
and and not be garbage all in the same time. Mm-hmm. That I can be who I am and I can enjoy what I'm going to enjoy, and um, and not and not be an animal and and a liar, cheat, and a thief, which mm-hmm. was what I was. And I mm-hmm. lied and cheated and stole so many things. You know, mm-hmm. all through not just money. You know, your life, your mm-hmm. time, your love, your compassion your everything i would take it i would steal it i would you know like a giant vacuum as i tell people too it's like mm-hmm. happiness and joy out of everybody around me and i'd use it up for myself and i still wouldn't be happy and then i drink and i'd just make everything worse and it was just terrible and i just said it was just a black hole for so long so i couldn't fill i couldn't find what would fill my cup so i tried to fill it with everything i possibly could everything. And still never be enough, enough. or be happy mm-hmm. yep Yep, And only exactly. this program, when I started to realize I had a high power, I came in and I was an atheist when I first showed <laughs> up, and I moved to an agnostic, and now, like I said, I have a higher power, and I believe in things that, I mean, I look back on, I would have never even come close. Like, the progress I've made is huge, and just looking at it that way, and it's, um, you know, it took time, but slowly but surely for me, something I've had to, I'm, there's things that come along, and I challenge my sobriety, and challenge my stance on how I view things to be where I'm at today. And I said, I have to believe there's a higher power because I know when I'm in control, I know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I have to give it over and let the higher power work in my life. I love that. I love that you said that. I've, I've had, um, you know, experiences. And, and when you just talked about, you know, challenging my perspective, I think for me, um, one of the things that I've noticed that in the last several years that actually in, in service has has brought to my attention was when I am so adamantly against something or so adamantly pushing for something that I need to take a look at that and I need to take a step back Mm -hmm. and I need to be able to see someone else's perspective Mm -hmm. and I've made myself do that and every time that I, I come up, I'm still not necessarily going to mean I'm going to agree with you or I'm going to change my mind, but I'm going to understand as best I can somebody else's side of something. Mm. <laughs> That's growth in itself. So it's to really do that to get, you know, it's the definition of moving away from being self-centered mm-hmm. is to actually take time and view someone's perspective and see that. Because before, like I said, back when we were drinking or back when I first came in, it was all about me. <laughs> all yep. about me. I'm right. Yep. My side of it's right. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. The smartest man on the planet. Don't you should be blessed to be in my presence. Don't you? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know who you're talking to? <laughs> For love of Pete. Listen, I can tell you what you're doing wrong. I can solve this. I can solve this for you in a heartbeat and tell you exactly how to do it right. Yep, just turn off the blinker. I mean, like, just, just turn off, off the blinker. Fine, everything. right? Exactly. Just turn it. Just, just turn, turn the knob the other way. You see if that works. Jeez. Like I said, just listen to me. I have all of the answers. All of the answers. I can certainly manage your life. Mm-hmm. Mine may be a holy mess over here. <laughs> Yeah. Details, details. Details. I know, details. But yours, yours is easy. Yep. My first sponsor would make me read 60 to 63 every morning. Like, she's like, you need to read that every day in the first person. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was, it was those things yeah. too. Absolutely. <laughs> those pages that were, were, you know, marked off in the big book. And I think if somebody had handed me the big book and said, read it starting at page one. 
it would never have happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think having right, this is a good prayer, this is a good section, take mm-hmm. a look at this, and kind of getting into that and got me more interested in saying, hmm, mm-hmm. what's... Crack it open yeah. and read Let's it. Crack it open it from the more. start and take a look at this, you know? Yep. I went to a rehab where we didn't have our phone. And for the first two weeks, I couldn't even use the phone. But so the we would read, like, the personal stories. Like, I don't know. I feel like I was with a, a good group. Like, we would just sit and read and talk about them. I don't think I ever would have read the personal stories, like, without that. Because it was like, I don't want to read this. recent ones, right? No, or... that was the, the biggest one. Got you. Not here. <laughs> 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 I got to use the phone at that one. But yeah. the one in Vegas, yeah, like... That you'd get shut away for two weeks. Like, you guys couldn't even contact me. I couldn't even use the phone. But it was good. Like, because then I had to rely on the women. And we had women come in the house. And women who had gone through the house would come and just sit with us. And I don't know. It was just, it was a good time. And that was, it, I didn't it was think, peaceful. It was, yeah, I, when I first got there and I was still drunk, I was like, I'm not going to like this. But yeah, and it was, I shook for like the first three days, but then it got better. <laughs> but I liked what you said too about like, you called your sponsor and uh, told her about the mess and like what you were thinking. And like, cause for me, that was God. Like that was the first instance of that being a higher power, picking up the phone and talking to a woman about that. Cause like, I would never show that side of me. That wasn't going on in my head. I'm fine. I'm perfect, and I'll tell you how to run your life because I'm running mine so well. Uh, but yeah, like so that kind of helped me like really start to be like, oh, well, this person's okay, and maybe I'll listen to what they have to say because they're saying what I'm saying isn't crazy, even though I think it's crazy because I have these voices in my head that tell me I'm a worthless piece of crap all the time. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can, um, you know, remember was always things like when I was, uh, you know, first getting sober and calling her up calling my sponsor up because you know probably the guy I was dating or whatever at the time did something who it was always revolved for so long revolved around (laughs) men and and how they didn't treat me right I can't imagine why but um (laughs) she would and I I would just you know still that emotional mess that emotional stuff and she would be like um did you cook for the kids how can I uh, do you have macaroni and cheese (laughs) Why don't you make a macaroni and cheese tonight? That's okay for tonight. Why don't you do that and call me back? Why don't you give the kids a bath and call me back? Why don't you read them a story? So it was also having that person not feeding in because mm-hmm. my conversations used to be about how terrible that other person was and having somebody agreeing with me and don't you understand, validate me. And, you know, and having somebody say, whoa, you have a responsibility. Mm. Feed your kids. Mm-hmm. Call me back. Yeah, my sponsor would always make me do nice things for Eddie. She'd be like, <laughs> have you done something nice for Eddie today? Or like the cat, because he when he came into the relationship, he brought a cat with him, and he'd gotten the cat with his ex-girlfriend, so I was, I didn't like the cat. Hated the cat. Yeah. Oh, I hated that cat, too. Now Pickles loves me more than you. <laughs> but she would make me just, how about, do you want to pet Pickles? Like, how about you brush him and wa- give him fresh water? Like, do all these nice things for the cat. <laughs> Which sounds so ridiculous yeah. at the start, yeah. right? It's like, what? Like, why? It's his cat. It's his, it's his <laughs> cat. Feed the cat. Yeah. Absolutely. I would have hated that cat with your ex-girlfriend's cat. Pickles now. Pickles is terrible. <laughs> but he loves it. And now he loves me and he'll always sit on my lap. And I think he loves me more than you. <laughs> funny though because it's true like it's those little things of just that always being uncomfortable and trying to do 
those little like acts to kind of cement how things work, you know? I said like said little acts of kindness that way to help try and change your behavior instead of being self righteous, right? And having like that self righteous anger of like it doesn't matter if you're right or not. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We're not allowed he said in the book, so you're not allowed to have that. So leave that for people who are better suited to deal with it than us. Because we... Because it's not me. No, it's not me. Because if I'm right, I'm definitely feeling it. But I should not be feeling it and making everyone else. I shouldn't be using it as a whip to crack over people because I'm right. And, um, man, it's so tough. It's so tough. I said, and changing those behaviors. I can't wait to get sober and not drink. That's all I wanted. Yeah. And they did tell me I had I'll to be change. fine once I stop drinking. And then I find out I'm miserable and I have to do all these things to change my life. And if I don't do that, you know what I mean? But like I said, step at a time. And it's great. And I'm so glad. It's just progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and working, just working through those things and sticking them out and sticking it out and mm-hmm. moving through. Because mm-hmm. I would... I've had the same sponsor since I've gotten sober, and I know for a lot of people that's not um, that's not always the case, and and sometimes it it's what has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm very much like I said, I, I was pretty much raised in this hometown, um, and my father still lives in the house that I grew up in. Um, he had one job growing up that he worked at for like forty five or more years. My life has really been consistently like that also. I, I need to maintain, I, I've got, you know, um, I've had only maybe a couple of jobs in my adulthood and I don't like to move around. Um, and I actually just moved out of Wallingford a couple of years ago when I bought my house and that was only for value, right? And mm-hmm. I'm only just a little over the line into the next town, not that far. And I got a lot more bang, you know, for my buck. But even being able to buy a house, like, mm-hmm. never did I ever think that, like, that was going to happen. I remember signing my mortgage. I was 50. I bought my house three years ago and laughing, going, I'm going to be 80. <laughs> Pay this up. This is absolutely ridiculous. You know, but I was like, all right. But I own my own house, mm-hmm. you know, or, well, I pay for my own house. <laughs> exactly. I pay for it, exactly. Yeah. You know, and... and so, we were joking about that because that's one of my things was I I moved on the, on the other way, right? So where you say I moved everywhere. Every I never stayed anywhere, whether it was if I was in Vegas, even the city. If I didn't leave the town, I mean, I moved every year like clockwork, sometimes by choice, sometimes not by choice. <laughs> and like I said, I've been in more places and more moves than I could imagine. I moved across the country twice. I moved through several different states, and I brought my problems everywhere I went. And then I ended up, we came back here again, and I'm, like, we, we just signed our own house for our house, too. This said last year we got a house and things like that, and things are, like, we're saying roots, and I'm starting to, like, cement ourselves in here, and it feels so opposite of patterns. And we were joking the other, man, it wasn't even eight months ago I was trying to go, I'm ready to quit my job, because now I've cemented my life here, so I have to have some sort of turmoil. Like, and it still, like, builds up, and, like, my job sucks, is it? I'm done. Like I said, it's good. I have to, like, I got to start over because I still get those wounds right. I need that. That's how my chaos manifests itself is I have to try and rip my life apart somehow. And at least now we identify those things, but it's so, it's so different and just to see those things and work through life that way now. It's, ama- it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Right? I, yeah, I can totally relate to that. Gifts of the program. <laughs> Um, and... Oh, look at that. 
Well, because I was going to say, well, what does your life look like now? But I feel like we've kind of been talking about that. We've kind of been talking about that. We have been throughout the whole thing. I think, you know, it's it's progress. It's um, staying involved. You know, it's knowing that working on the steps and and working on those things is is not a one and done. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's going through and understanding that that all of them um, are important. One, two and three, four, five and six being always being willing to look at myself first um, and set of outward, uh, you know, and, and life today is I have a great relationship with my kids. Um, they all still live at home. They are not children anymore. They're all adults. Although uh, this is, I talked about, this is actually, it's funny. It's, it's kind of a really period of change in my life. Um, you know, as I talked about, my father is getting older. Those roles are reversing. Um, my father is taking care of me up until like the day that he could not. And now I cook for him and I do for him and I do his grocery shopping along, you know, with my brothers and, and we take care of him and, and looking at, at being able to be present and walk gracefully through those changes. Um, my oldest son is looking where he might move out of state and, I'm not being a complete another idiot about it, um, you know, because <laughs> I, I feel that at some point that like if he leaves that I'll never see him again. But I don't go down that rabbit hole. Right. <laughs> um, and then my middle son, who who has a, you know, um, a longtime girlfriend and those things. I just changed jobs after 13 years. Mm. That was that was like, wow. And and my job that I went to, they actually called me. And said, would you be interested in this position? Like, what? <laughs> like. <laughs> That's not the phone calls I'm used to receiving. Yeah, not, not at all, you know. Um, and, and leaving a position that I had actually was respected in. And I don't think that I didn't notice that that was kind of growing as it was happening. And as I was, um, you know, leaving, I was like, wow, I, I guess this is a career. And having so many people that would came and talk to me, you know, and was kind of like, you know, can we just chat for a minute? I just want to tell you that you had this influence on me for this or that, or I'm really going to miss working with you. Or, and I'm just flabbergasted because it was just amazing, right, how those gifts are where I'm not, I'm not trying. I don't understand. Like, I'm not. That's not my end goal when that was my end goal that never ended up being the product of it (laughs) um and i work in a job now because right we're kind of at the age where work is our main thing that we do right Mm -hmm. um at least for me my social life is from nine to five (laughs) Um, and you know i work with people that i enjoy and that i respect and that I don't have those, you know, those alcoholic turmoil and just mm-hmm. running through a whirlwind. And and I work in a, in a business where most of the people that I serve, you know, have a mental health or addiction diagnosis. And that turmoil and dealing with that element of an unsober population um, is in my face and also a really good reminder for today. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I think today is just is vastly better than it was, and I'm hugely grateful for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. That was really great talking to you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being here. This was really a lot of fun. (laughs)
It's um, a, we have a good way of closing. Yeah, with the we version of serenity prayer. Mm-hmm. God, God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference.